Welcome back. What's up, man? Finally back. <laughs> Dude, the trad man ride again. Well, but maybe not for so we're we're gonna rebrand the show. So this may be one of the last trad men episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um and we've got a yeah, name we, picked out and everything. Do we unveil the name or do we I don't know? What do you want to do? It's uh it's I mean we've made some progress on it because we've been we've been thinking about it for a while. Yeah, let's sit on it for a minute because because yeah. yeah. It it'd be kind of cool to unveil all the ideas that we have once it comes to fruition as far as name, artwork, music, all that stuff. Um, um hey, there you are, But there you is ex- but there is exciting news. I am now the new Rome corn correspondent. I see of, that. Uh, of of the whatever podcast. This is. Yeah, the podcast that will formerly be known as Stradman. Uh, yeah, mine too. Mine too. That's trans woman to you, Sean. <laughs> Sean McGinnis. Top of the morning. Top of the evening to you, lad. A good um, Irish name. Yeah. So what's up, man? How you doing? Living the Pretty dream? Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Had an interesting, had an interesting day. Yeah, no, I heard I you. I heard I heard you were wanting to eat. Uh, you mentioned earlier you were wanting to eat a uh, interesting lunch. Just so oh, your so I had yeah, bad. I had spicy garlic edamame for lunch, and I do that so that no one will talk to me for the rest of the day after lunch. You know, the spicy but, garlic. That, and I here's can be a, kind of a close talker. So here's a here, here's a pro tip. Here's a pro tip for you if you want people to stay away from you. Just be yourself. Just be us. <laughs> wow. I mean, it works. I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, so, hey, yeah, seven, we got seven folks now. Okay, good. I was worried nobody was going to tune in because this one was about me, <laughs> which I get it. I'm, I, I kind of don't really know why Jason wants to do this because I've never really considered my story that interesting. Um, so we'll, well, we'll see. I've- I was going to say, what what was the last show we did? I think it was the Father Jackson. And you were telling some of your uh, reversion story. Yeah, I got into a little it, bit of it. I um, mean, we could see that it touched you in some aspects. And I know it touched... I know it touched me and I know I've heard other parts of it. And I said, you know, everybody's focused on the conversion story. People talk about my mm. conversion or whatnot, or other sure. people that convert to the Catholic faith. I'm like, why, why not have a good reversion story? Because those are just is, is amazing to see as the conversion, right? Because a reversion many times is, is pretty much a conversion, right? Oh yeah. And I, I, like, I would say that I'm still in my conversion story. I mean, I, I, I guess we all, yeah, I think we all are. are. Right. Um, but so to, to, I'll just kick things off. Uh, I, I awakened, I was born in the Catholic church. Uh, well, not say born, I was born and raised in the Catholic church, baptized Catholic, uh, but raised by two very modernist, parents you know they were the children of the the 60s man um and so i didn't really grow up what i would call you know religion was not a big part of my life for most of my life it became that way when i was about 16 years old when you grow up in houston texas houston doesn't have sidewalks and we don't have mass transit so basically you're under house arrest until you turn 16 and then you can go places um and i got i i just got my driver's license and so being equipped, being an inquisitive uh, young man of 16, 
I wanted to know more about being Catholic and what, what the difference was between being Catholic or being a Methodist or, you know, all the other religions that my friends were. I was the only Catholic kid that I knew. Um, so well, yeah, if yeah. I may, if I may interrupt you, because before we get to that part, I, I, I did want to ask, like, I know you mentioned, I guess your parents are, uh, you know, had the 1960s mindset and whatnot. What was your what was your upbringing uh, like in the Catholic Church with your parents? And were there any influences between uh, when you were when you were born and I guess 16 that really kind of uh, kept your interest, you know, in the Catholic faith? Because sure, obviously yeah. you, My- you had that interest. So so what influence was there, if any? Well, my grandmother was a very pious woman. My grandmother was an Irish Catholic lady uh, who was um, meaner than a rattlesnake. It could be meaner than a rattlesnake, but at the same time, um, she was. See the other the other kids I grew up with were all Protestants, and they all used to treat me differently because I was a Catholic. And she was the only one who was like, "Don't let them get you down. They're just jealous because you have something they don't have." And I was like, well, what, what do you, what do you mean? You know, and I, I didn't come to find out till years later what it was she was talking about. But, um, you know, my grandmother had very Irish sensibilities. Her Protestants were always those people. <laughs> when she was talking about those people. She wasn't talking about black people or Hispanic people. Or anything. She was talking about Protestants. Um, and so she, yeah, those people are just jealous of you because that's what those people are like. And my grandmother always used to say, uh, we don't marry the Protestant. She would say the Protestant, not Protestants, because to her, if you've met one, you've met them all. They're, They're all, all the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she just is from a milieu that is just very different, um, than ours. And, you know, she would tell me like, for example, uh, Irish Protestants will kill you on sight if they ever see you. So if you ever go into their neighborhoods, don't, don't wear your scapular. Don't worry, which in Belfast and in certain uh, neighborhoods is a good idea. Like don't wear Catholic stuff. Over was your there. grandmother, was your grandmother from Ireland? No, 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 no. But, but, uh, but that but, was uh, still very much ingrained in the culture of people who come yeah. from the North of Ireland. And, um, but anyway, the, uh, so, so that was my, my Catholic, but in terms of my parents, no. Uh, in fact, I used to have to tell people uh, that I was going to visit somebody because my parent, my mother would drop me off at Sunday school and my father would pick me up and I'd have my backpack with me. And it was always very embarrassing for me to have to tell my friends that, uh, or especially my friends in Sunday school, that my parents were divorced and that was why I had to do that. But it didn't bother them at all. You got to understand. Yeah. Um, so I didn't grow up with much religion in my life, uh, except, except my grandmother was re- She made me at least not feel ashamed for being a Catholic. I'll say that, but I don't well, know that I ever really showed much re- interest in her religion per se. And I do want to add something. If you would share, I'll let you share the saying that your grandmother gave you that made you consider seminary, because I thought it was a very mm, good saying yeah. that I have actually used with my older girls and I will use with my boys as they get older as well. But, but well, she said, that. she always used to say you should give God the first chance. So if you're, you, you're getting ready to graduate from high school, unless you know for sure, and you've always known you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be, you, you, you've 
just one of those people who's known since the day they were old enough to know things that which isn't very many of us which isn't very many it certainly wasn't me even though i ended up being a lawyer it wasn't i still don't know what i want to be yeah well when you (laughs) when you grow up you'll figure yeah (laughs) uh but she used to say give god the first chance if you go to a seminary or religious house of formation you do a candidacy you do a postulancy and if you want you can do a novitiate if that's up to your spiritual directors whatever but if it doesn't work out what have you lost You've you've spent two, maybe three very formative years of your life in a place where you will learn how to work, number one, how to work. Uh, If nothing else, you'll learn how to do some stuff in a monastery or in a religious house of formation. Uh, You will have access to to the daily sacraments, spiritual direction, time to time to be with God in silence to figure out what it is you want to do in life or what it is that God wants you to do in life. I would, I would say it was more like in my mindset, what I want to do in life. I had a very sort of immature understanding of what vocations were. And I thought it was more like a job, you know? Um, so that something you choose for yourself. And then, uh, so that's, so when I was about 17, I started looking at, uh, opportunities to, what I was going to do after high school, there was a religious community uh, founded. It was founded actually just in the 1940s in Mexico by a man named Marcial Maciel, who had lived through the Cristero uh, persecutions. He was a child in Micho in, uh, in the state of Michoacan. And the, the reputation was that the legionary that this community founded the legionaries of Christ were very um, uh, theologically orthodox. They were kind of like what the Jesuits were always sort of meant to be. They were very missionary focused, uh, focused on education and um, sound theological teaching, right? That was sort of the, the mystique of, of the legion. Um, and it was like, it was almost like a, a, a cult. <laughs> I mean, it was in a in a sense, it was, it ended up being that, but I, I'm somebody who um, need, you know, I, I grew up an only child of two divorced parents. The need to belong to something was very, very strong mm-hmm. in me. Um, and like thinking back, like it's a miracle. I didn't end up in like a gang or something, something negative like that, that would have given me a, a sense of belonging in a really negative sense. It's a really good thing that I didn't, but I was desperate for that sense of, of, uh, of organizational belonging. And, and the Legion had a lot of that. So I thought, and then, uh, so yeah, uh, at the age of 18, just right after high school, uh, I set off for Cheshire, Connecticut to begin my postulancy. And uh, that was that was the first time I think I'd ever really um, like lived out of the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, I, I, I just want to add that, like going back to your grandmother, what she said, give God the first choice, the first chance. I know, you know, because if you do that after you've graduated high school, you do that, you're 18, 19 years old. If you go one, two, or three years, like you said, what, what do you have to lose? You're still 20, 21, maybe, you know, 20, 22 at the most. And and I've been trying to ingrain in my girls because I have a well, soon to be 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. I try to tell them that, look, I'm not saying you have to 
going to religious life. I'm not saying that you have to be married, but what I am, the only thing that I am really asking you to do is what your grandmother said. Give God the first chance. After you graduate high school, find a, find a religious group and give them one year, give them one year at the end of one year. If you say this isn't for me, okay, fine. You gave it, you know, you, you prayed about it. You discerned it. You know, you, you, you're free to leave. If you decide, Hey, this is for me. You're, you're certain. Well, great. You found your vocation because you gave you, you opened your heart up to the voice of God. Right. Right. And and once you get married, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. That way. Well, and I told him, what's the third option? You go one year, you're still unsure. Guess what? You can go another year before you have to make, you know, final commitments. But, uh, but, but, but your grand, what you told me about your grandmother has really changed my viewpoint and how I am trying to raise my kids in that regard. Well, I so, don't so, want, she, so, so she had what, an impact on me. <laughs> this, this story is going to can, can sort of the story I'm going to tell you can give you can sour you on vocations or, or discernment or something like that. I don't want that to be the case. A lot of this happened because as a single child of two divorced parents, I had to do this entire process on my own. My parents yeah. could have cared less. They could so, have cared less. So, and, and I didn't know how to discern spirits back then. I didn't understand how to, how to talk to a lot of different uh, vocations, directors to really, the internet was around, but it wasn't really much of a thing back then. Uh, we had AOL and dial up and things like that. Well, so heck, it, even if you had it, the, the way the internet is today, it could have been more of a hindrance than a help. It might have been. And <laughs> a know? lot of these places didn't even have websites and things like that. Yeah. This was back in a time when not everybody had a website. Right. Um, so I didn't really understand what I was doing when I was trying to, to do all this. And well, all I knew is, is that modernism is run amok. <laughs> I wasn't a traditional Latin mascot yet. I didn't really even think I knew about that. I kind of knew that that was out there, but didn't understand that at all. Um, Was not anywhere on my radar. And all I knew is these guys are not teaching heresy. They're not openly, they're not open heretics. They wear the cassock. They get it liturgically. Their, their, their masses, you know, they celebrate according to the rubrics. They did the Novus Ordo Mise in Latin, English, and Spanish. Um, and so I thought, yeah, this is. Well, you're talking about the Legionnaires, right? The Legion of Christ, right? That, yeah, this yeah. Would be a, a good option for me, or so I thought. Well, okay. So, so before we get into your decision, which to join them and all that, you had mentioned earlier. Okay, so I, I guess from childhood to 16, you had a uh, a non-involved parental. Um, uh, what's the word? Catechesis, right? Like you were kind of on your own, so right. Uh, you, you you were trying to navigate all that on your own, but you said and I'm leaving 16. out somebody very important, but I, I'm going to get to that. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, the, you're the, good. The person that I've left out here, if you've grown up in Houston, Texas, or you spent a or you spent a significant <clears throat> amount of time here in the in throughout the '90s, you knew a place called St. Francis of Assisi Religious Goods, which was a a a Catholic store on the west side of Houston. And that Still was here. where I got in the car and drove to. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. That was where I got in the car and drove to, to learn what it meant to be Catholic. Cause I knew I, they were a Catholic bookstore and I got in there and I got to talking to the owner. His name was Lawrence Lelou. Lawrence Lelou was a devoutly pious. He still is a devout, a devoutly pious Catholic man who 
took me in as his adopted son. And to this day, he calls me the son he never had. And him and his wife um, let me work at the bookstore and read one of the books on their shelf as long as I brought it back in perfect condition and didn't, you know, uh, and of course I would do that. And we would sit in the back and we would make uh, Miguel Pro Holy Cards. This is where I learned about Blessed Miguel Pro. His shrine is there in the store and you can still go see it to this day. They no longer own the store, but the shrine is still there. Uh, and he would teach me about the Catholic church. I learned more sitting in the back of that store, making those Saint, uh, those Blessed Miguel Pro Holy Cards than I have learned all throughout my seminary formation and all through all four years of undergraduate religious studies, theology degrees, everything. How um, old were you at this time? 16, 17 okay. years old. Okay, right? so, 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 so this is really it, what you were talking about earlier at 16 when you really started to explore and become more serious about the faith. Right, right. And, and, and serious I became. I became hard. I went, I went hardcore, right? I was that guy. Like I said, I think back, my goodness, I would have been perfect uh, fodder for initiation into something terrible that would have given me a sense of belonging because if I went into it, I went into it all the way. Right. Um, and so that's where I learned about the Legion and that's where I started thinking that, you know, making the arrangements to, to go to Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, when I got there, I was 18 years old. I did my postulancy and had, a, I, I loved it. I, I, I knew I was home. Did, I, this was great. You know, no big did deal. anyone recommend the Legionnaires to you or was it just kind of through your no, own I think, research? I think Lawrence did because okay. they were, they were very, you have to remember there was once a time when the Legion was very well thought of. Okay. The idea was, is that the founder of the Legion of Christ was a, was a living saint, a, a great man of our time, a personal friend of Pope John Paul II. That relationship I think is a little bit more has been a little was a little bit more inflated than it really was uh, by. But anyway, that's a longer story than I want to get into here. But um, so I thought, yeah, this is this is great. Why, I didn't understand that. I understood. I thought that all the all stories about priests and stuff like that were calumnies. There were I knew there were enemies of the church everywhere. Hell, most of them were in the church with us. Um, and so I was just very resistant to to even entertaining that anything like that could really be a possibility from, from somebody on, on our side, you know, of this whole thing. And so I thought, um, I got there and I was about 18, did my postulancy, which lasted for three months. And then you begin the novitiate. We took the cassock. And I remember that the day I got the cassock in my hands, I was like, that thing felt like it weighed 15,000 pounds. I, you, you got it in a, a ceremony. And you took it back to your uh, your cell, which was in a dormitory, and you didn't put it on until the next morning. And I I, I, remember I sat up there that whole night just looking at that cassock, and I was terrified of it. And I, I just thought, wow, you really effed up. <laughs> you really you was it really just the weight up. of the responsibility getting yes. to you? Yeah. Yes, I felt the presence of every martyr there with me in that little cubicle in that dormitory. Just like going, all right, novice. So, show us what you got. So, so you're gonna be you, you. This is the future of the Catholic Church. I mean, they stretched me out 
and then fed my body parts to lions. But but you got your cassock, so you know. You, I guess we're good now. Yeah, you know, I just I just felt this. I mean, that wasn't. It was all my perception, but um, right. nonetheless, it was incredibly terrifying. And I just remember, I the, from that day forward, I put that cassock on for a year and a half. I hated it every day I wore it, and it's the reason I never volunteer. I to this day, I don't. I don't serve at the, at, at, at the mass, even when they need somebody. I mean, I, I don't sing in the choir. I don't, cause I won't wear one of those ever again. I just can't do it. It's just too, um, that is a very, I, I, I don't know if everybody else feels like that, but that's a liturgical garment. And when you wear it, man, you, f- at least I did, I felt the weight of the whole freaking Catholic church on my back and it terrified me just terrifying well, me. well i mean that's understandable right because you're going to be in a position that is held to a higher standard in the sight of god right yeah. um so i i can't blame you for that but then so uh as we as we as i progressed in throughout my novitiate uh i don't want to paint it like everybody in the legion was a bad person that it's just simply not true i met some amazing priests that uh that were my spiritual directors in in the legion father juan jose garcia uh was my novice master um and i just i i don't know where he is now i've tried to look him up and find out what happened to him he may be one of the casualties of what happened and he ended up leaving most of the guys i knew either left the seminary or even though they were ordained, they've left the Legion, if not the priesthood entirely since this mm. whole thing happened, which is really sad. But um, yeah, I did meet some great guys. Father Walter Shue. I wonder, I, I, man, what is Father Walter Shue up to? Uh, guys who would just gave me some profound uh, uh, insights into my life, but nonetheless, it wasn't for me. They knew it. I knew it. And then there was this other thing that was going on too. We would take classes in liturgy and liturgical history. And I began to learn a few things about the Roman, right? That I did not know before. And I would have conversations with my superiors and you got to remember, these guys were not tradies. They were very much a Novus Ordo only community. And it did not go over well. well up to, up to my... this point, I was going to, I was going to ask you up to this point, <laughs> Up to this point, did you know much about the history of the liturgy? Like that there Not was or that there was a Latin master? Did you yeah, I knew think- what it was, but let me tell you how screwed up my understanding of this was. Back then it was called the Tridentine Latin Mass. And I thought that that meant that at the Council of Trent, they wrote this mass like Vatican II wrote this mass. I thought, I thought that's what ecumenical councils did. Every time you have an ecumenical council, the council writes a new mass and that's that's the Tridentine Mass, you know, or, or, or whatever, right? See the, see the power of branding and words and how we word things and how that can mislead people? But anyway, as I start to study the liturgy in the Legion, I began to find out some very, very different historical facts about the liturgy. Um, so tangentially, as I'm sort of on my way out the back door of the Legion of Christ, I'm also uh, awakening to this understanding of the Latin Mass. So... Uh, I ended up leaving the Legion uh, before, because at the end of your second year, you have to make your first professions. This is where you actually take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I knew I wasn't going to do that. And my superiors knew that it wasn't right for me either. Um, 
And so I left and I was very salty about the whole experience of how it didn't play out and how I was, you know, angry at God for not letting me be one of his priests. Because again, very shallow and immature understanding of how vocations work and what they are and, and things like that. Little did I know God was saving. He was dodging a huge bullet for me. He was pulling me out of a really bad situation that can you imagine what would have happened if I'd have stuck that out, gotten ordained. And we're talking about living in the Legion for eight years just to get to ordination and then in the, living your life as a priest after that, only to then to find out after you've you know, you've given your life to this thing and given up all possibility of having other careers and a family and it, only then to find out, yeah, everything's a fraud. Everybody was a fraud. It's like, man, I, and a lot, I knew a lot of guys who that happened to. It's um, funny how, it, it's funny how that always works, right? We, in, in the moment we, we either get frustrated, maybe angry with God or whatever. And then, and then years later, we're like, sorry, I'm the idiot. <laughs> I'd like to offer a bit of advice to young people who might be getting ready to go off to seminary or to uh, the monastery or a nunnery or something like that. Listen to your feelings. You know, I think we've, we've gotten this idea from our baby boomer parents that feelings are not something that are real. And, you know, feeling that's over sentimentality. The only thing that counts is money. You know, I don't know that some reason they're always obsessed with money. But don't listen to your feelings. Those things are just, and they, I I just think that's wrong. I think your feelings are one of the ways that God talks to you. And if something doesn't feel right, pay attention to that and, 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 and discern why that is the case and understand that every situation you're in is not the best situation for you. And sometimes moving on is progress. It's not a failure, right? Um, and so I would just want anybody who's going to investigate that or go down that road, there is a distinct possibility, a very big possibility that you may not be ordained, that you may not make it to profession. That's okay. You haven't failed at anything. God didn't let you down. In fact, what he did is help you discern that this is not your vocation because something else is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. And, you know, I want to add somebody had told me a few years ago and I never considered it about feelings because, like you said, a lot of times we just write off our feelings because we're like, well, they're just feelings or, you know, it's just my desire or whatever the case may be. But somebody said that if you're if you're honestly pray uh, prayerfully discerning a decision and you have a feeling one way or another, it could be the Holy Spirit talking to you and working through you to say, Hey, this is where I, where I'm trying to lead you to don't, don't discount those feelings as, Oh, those are just feelings. It, Cause it could be the Holy spirit talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so when I left the seminary, um, I, I, I left practicing Catholicism. This wasn't, I, I here's what I want to tell you. This wasn't a real spiritual crisis. This was kind of an immature kid, just kind of uh, throwing a temper tantrum to God because he didn't give me the job I wanted. Right. When you left seminary. Yeah. Yeah. When I left seminary, didn't practice for about, uh, let's say two years, um, two, three years. It was the, the death of Pope John Paul II and the election of Benedict the 16th that brought me back. 
And what was funny what about, about that brought you back? If I may ask, anything specific? The, the, it was all in the news, and I knew kind of a lot of these people they were talking about. And um, part of one of my jobs that I got in the Legion, uh, the, the Vatican, when it issues any document, always issues it in Latin, uh, still to this day. And so I, I, part of my job in the Legion, one of the things that I did is I translated um, things that were, you know, correspondence that we would get from the various dicasteries or whatever in Rome, and I'd translate them or whatever. So I knew a lot of these, these people that we're talking about. I, I had corresponded personally with, uh, with Joseph Ratzinger when he was a cardinal. I, I got a Christmas card from him somewhere around here. I think I, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and I had his, his personal address there in, in Rome and everything is very cool. So something about that just, just awakened something in me. I was, uh, and my wife and I were in uh, dating. Uh, we, we had not yet gotten engaged. I don't think, but something about this made me say, I want to get married in, in, in the Catholic church. That's, that's important to me. Uh, and so we got married at our lady of Sars parish in Miami, Florida, in the traditional Latin mass by the grace of God. So I'm back, right. And I'm practicing the faith and, and, and I'm, I'm just like old 16 year old Mark again, everything's going now. Great. Now let me ask you this. Cause you had mentioned you studied liturgy yeah, uh, or started studying the liturgy while you were towards the end of your seminary uh, phase. And then you just said you got married in a traditional Latin mass. Were you at this point, were you still uh, just kind of, going along with the flow, I guess to say, or were you kind of hardcore TLM at that point? I was hardcore TLM. I was still rebelling against the Legion, right? I don't think I was hard. I don't think I was all hardcore TLM for all the right reasons. I was still rebelling against the mainstream church that had rejected me in my, my head in my own self-absorbed head. 20 year old men are a challenge. (laughs) Okay. Um, we think we're grown, uh, but a lot of us have the mentality of a 13 year old in a lot of cases. So, and I I was no exception. Um, so I was going to TLM for all the wrong reasons. And, uh, but anyway, that was going fine. We, we moved to Chicago. So, uh, cause I was going to complete my undergraduate studies at Loyola university, which I ended up doing. But while we were there, um, a couple of things happened. The first thing that happened was the abuse story out of Boston broke. Hmm. And yeah, like the rest of the world, I was shocked and appalled, but I didn't live in Boston. I wasn't from Boston. I wasn't and it was it was shocking to me that the that they exposed a, a a rot that was as big as it was that shocked me but i still didn't feel personally connected to that to that situation or that story until everything came out about Maciel Maciel now the first thing you got to know is in the legion we they talk about this stuff or they they used to talk about this stuff but it was all lies in fact, one of the, the, the situation where Paul, Pope Paul VI actually removed Marcel Maciel from the Legion back in the 50s while he conducted a, a, a thorough investigation into what was going on, 
But that investigation didn't turn up anything. And so he was reinstated. And we they used to call that the great blessing. Hmm. And it was, it was th- this sort of cataclysmic event in the history of the Legion when the founder had been tested and had, you know, come through the other side and was redeemed and everything like that. And so I knew the stories were out there. But I thought the enemies of the church, this is one of the things you got to be careful of in the tradisphere with always thinking the enemies are always out there. Sometimes they're closer than you think. Just prepare yourself. Not everybody who's out there is the enemy. Sometimes the enemy is the guy sitting next to you and just prepare yourself for that. The world don't break down into good guys and bad guys. The line of good and evil cuts down the center of every human heart. And so um, that, that's, that's the, a lesson to be learned there. But um, when the story about Marcel, when, when all the stories came out that, yeah, in fact, not only is it all true, but the, but the superiors of the order have now admitted that they knew everything the whole time. We have videos of him going on vacation with his various, uh, oh, hey, Kevin, that's my buddy, Kevin Protzman. Okay. Cause he's going to come into the story later okay um all right i can't believe he's actually watching this This is so cool so um no pressure no pressure yeah (laughs) so anyway um where was i with this okay the stories come out that it was all true and uh not only did we got video of him because he had families several families in several countries around the world that he had fathered children in these families so not only was he sexually abusing his own seminarians? He was fathering children around the world in four or five different families and then abusing those children. Hmm. He was also a drug addict and he was doing all this on the Legion's dime. Okay. And we've got the video. Like there, there is no conspiracy to this is all calumny and everybody's against the church and everything like that. And I had to come to grips with the fact that, son of a bitch, we were the bad guys the whole damn time. I've been sitting here trying to figure out who the enemy is. Is it the Protestants? Is it the Freemasons? Is it the Jews? Nope. Nope. It was us the whole time. We were the bad guys. There exist out there people who would have had wonderful and meaningful and purposeful lives, but for the fact that they were Catholic. And if that doesn't make you mad, nothing will. I was, to say in fury, I still get infuriated when I think about it. And I was a guy who, um, one of the things that we would do uh, is we would teach Sunday school at various parishes around the area. And parents would come up to me and say, Mark, we've heard these stories. And I'd say they're not true. You don't, those are, those are lies. I called victims of his abuse, enemies of the church. I did that. So I, 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 I victimized him twice. Um, and so now I've got to sit with the fact that not only did this happen, I was a part of it. And you could say, yeah, unwillingly. But you know, it, it, hell, if you'd have opened your eyes for five damn seconds and listened to the feelings, listened to the gut, I should have known. 
right? I mean, with that much smoke, he's got he's got 23 uh, accusers that don't know each, have never met each other. They're all telling the same story, and it's all a conspiracy run by the Masonic Lodge. Come on. Like, just use your brain for five seconds. This way I felt like if you'd have used your damn brain for five seconds, you would have known. And the guilt, the anger, I just couldn't i couldn't set foot in a catholic church i if they'd have let me join the orange order i would have joined that i mean i was i hated hated my hatred for the roman catholic church was pure it was pure it's the nicest thing i know how to say it was pure um and so yeah man i wouldn't darken the door and you just felt betrayed during all this right <clears throat> by by the church by the yeah. legionnaires or i was like i was like you know it it doesn't seem to how is it possible that there are more psychopaths in the priesthood than there are in the american boardroom how, how <laughs> you know i now here's the deal is i i have never been somebody and especially living in a monastery wearing that cassock day in day out for at least almost two years i've never been somebody who's demanded perfect priests that's that's not reasonable because I'm not perfect. Lord knows. Is it too much to, to ask that they not all be pure evil? That was my thinking. Because that seemed like, man, it certainly seems like a lot to ask that they not just be pure evil. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I, anger, rage, resentment, frustration, wanted nothing to do with anything that was going on. Um, she, so Christine here is bringing up Steve Skojic. I know everybody's mad at Steve Skojic. I know everybody can't stand him. I know everybody thinks he's apostate. I know he thinks he's going to hell, this, that, and other thing. I know what Steve's going through. I get it. Steve will come back in his own time, in his own. Steve will come back. But just because I know how this works, at least I hope so. I really hope so. But anyway, um, that and and while I was going through that, it was the this was the real spiritual crisis. Jesus just sort of left me alone for a while. And man, you don't know how empty your life is until it feels like Jesus packed up and left town because you don't want to. You know, he he accepted my breakup letter is what it felt like. Ugh empty hollow depressed yeah all those things um so that's where do you want me to keep going or do you want to no like no keep going no okay. I'll keep going um there's a lot i'm gonna skip over because this is a family podcast and i don't want <laughs> i don't want to drug up all that well dredge up all the demons um necessarily but um i went full bore in the other direction <laughs> i was not somebody you would ever have imagined was ever in a seminary okay um and my wife is a very good wife and she goes where I spiritually lead. And this is what also 
makes it bad because I spiritually led her away also. Uh, and uh, sometimes you think about the weight of your own sins, man, and it really just it really just crushes you. But anyway, um, so fast forward to I, I complete my undergraduate degree, and then I go off to law school. I arrived at law school you know, a stone cold atheist. What, what what year are we talking about here? Uh, I entered I entered law school 2016. 2016. Yeah, 2016, okay. yeah. Uh, and so. So there's a there's a little interim gap in there, but nothing interesting happens in in there. I don't think. You're just you're you're just living your life, living my interim, life, yeah. Just without with, with Jesus, without not, Jesus, not a part of it, not yeah. a part of it. Yeah. So I thought, right? God works in very mysterious. <laughs> oh, true. Ways. Good point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I entered law school, and uh, you know, your your first week in law school they they give you this this little class that you're in is like an orientation at the end of that is a test no one fails the test but everybody sweats it because no one wants to flunk out of law school in the first week right <laughs> have that conversation with your with your old man uh so i found a group of guys to hang out with because we want we were going to study for this test together no studying got done i think we just got drunk or whatever but Nonetheless, I maintain a friendship with these guys to this day. They're still my friends and they became my best friends for three years. One of these guys I bonded with over the weirdest movie in the world, The Big Lebowski. Um, let me let, let me ask but, you real quick. Where, yeah. where did you go to law school? Because you, you went to undergrad in Chicago. Right at Loyola University. And I went to law school at the University of Iowa. Okay. In, in so, Iowa so, City, so, Iowa. Go Hawks. So you're in Iowa at this time. So. Right. And if, and if, and if Rob is listening, go Hawks, <laughs> he's a corn husker. Um, anyway, but you were saying the big Lebowski. <clears throat> yeah. And so me and this guy became friends and that guy is this guy, Kevin Protzman, Kevin Protzman. Um, let's just call him Kevin Protzman. Protz. Protz. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, sit tight. Cause that, that enters into the story here. Oh, does it really? uh, so Kevin, Kevin Protzman was a Protman. He was a Protestant, um, German Protestant. I think he was Lutheran. And um, we had many deep conversations. He was a believer in God. And I'm thinking now he's a little bit younger than I am. So I'm thinking, yeah, kid, but just you wait and see. That, that God guy, he'll break your heart. Just wait. But the more I got to know him, the more I talked to him, and the more um, open I became, I became to some of the things he was talking about, some of his ideas, and some of the, the things that he thought was important. But I'm nowhere near ready to go back to religion yet, necessarily. And then I take this class in... Um, it was constitutional law. The issue we were discussing is, does the, does the government have an affirmative duty to protect people? And if they fail in that duty, can they be held liable? Enter in the story of a young man named Josh DeShaney. Josh DeShaney was a young man, uh, was, a, was a young child in Iowa whose stepfather would beat him repeatedly. CPS was called out numerous times. CPS did nothing. The last time that the stepfather beat Josh DeShaney, 
He paralyzed him from the neck down. He lived the rest of his life in a wheel in a, in a motor chair and he died recently. He was a, he was a Catholic. And I remember hearing that story and I got, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's child abuse and it's, it's all those old feelings come up, but this time that, that Galilean carpenter who I hadn't talked to in a decade, um, he chimed in, he had something to say to me this time. And, and I remember him telling me, cause I, I went to my car in the parking lot after that. And I sat in the car and I just, I just bawled because that story was so horrible. Uh, <clears throat> that's still a horrible story to think about anyway. And I just remember him asking me, where does justice come from? And what is that? And why do we get the sense that justice is a good thing? I mean, even if we're, even if we get screwed up on what justice actually is, we all get the sense that justice is something to be sought after, right? Nobody out there in the world in any political stripe or anything like that is out there saying, I'm all about injustice. Who's with me, right? Nobody would do that because that wouldn't appeal to anybody. So, so if Josh DeShaney didn't get justice in, did Josh DeShaney get justice in this life? No, he did not. So where does Josh DeShaney get justice? And I thought to myself, maybe it's all a delusion. Maybe it is just a psychological projection, but it's one that I think I need because I have to believe that Josh DeShaney gets justice. If not in this life, then in the next. I have to believe it. I just have to. Um, and so that got me thinking about um, praying the rosary. I ordered a rosary off of ruggedrosaries.com. This one. <laughs> Still have it. And um, they really do last. <laughs> they do last, man. Things. I have a couple of them. This is my Knights of Columbus one that I, this is the one I usually use. This is the, the, the World War II Battle Beads Rosary, which is yeah, I've, pretty I've, cool. I've, I've, I have that. I have a similar one. Uh, for, I actually have two of them. One, uh, World War I Battle Beads. And then I've ordered my girl some. I ordered my son some. So I have a bunch of rugged rosary. But anyway, no, they're, great. they're great. They're yeah. great. And uh, one night I'm sitting out. And so I, I prayed the rosary in my living room. And I just felt like I was back after that. I, and, and I went to confession, started going to Holy mass, uh, every, every Sunday. How many, how many years from, from when you said I am done with, with God to mm. confession, was it mm. at least 10, at least 10 mm. years. That's, yeah, a, at least that's a, a good stretch. That's a good stretch. Yeah. It felt like, and I used to compare it to um, uh, crossing like a Rubicon. And, and I remember thinking the first one, when I got out of the seminary and I didn't go to church for a while, I could still see the other side of the, of the, of the chasm. So I knew, I knew this wasn't going to last this, this staying away from the church business. I was just kind of throwing a temper tantrum, but this, this, this one that I went through, I couldn't see the other side. And I remember the, the existential dread that the other side just didn't exist. And that I was just going to live in this darkness forever. Um, and boy, I used to remember thinking, boy, ignorance really is bliss. You know, <clears throat> ignorance is bliss. And, and, <laughs> and, and I know you mentioned your wife kind of, you know, 
being the, the good wife that she is, she kind of followed your, you know, your spiritual journey, right? Where you led her spiritually is where she went. So I guess during this time, you didn't have a whole lot of pushback from your wife for ignoring God. Right. Because, you know, I, I know when you talk to some people and, or you hear some people talk about their reversion or conversion story, they talk about their spouse really pushing them. Did you, what was your wife really pushing you or was she just kind of following your lead the whole time? My wife was following my lead, but she began to see issues in my behavior that troubled her rightly. So now, yeah. you know, I hear this, this argument all the time, Kevin, I love you too, brother. I'm so glad you got to come back and listen to the rest of us. Cause I haven't gotten a chance to really talk about you yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, come back and, and listen to the rest of this some other time. Um, she began to see some issues. Maybe there are people out there and I hear these atheists all the time. I don't need religion just to be a good person. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe you can do that. I can't, I can tell you right now. I am not that guy. There is a, there is an evil old man who lives in me. You know, St. Paul talks about the new man. There's an old man who lives in me. Uh, and he's a, he's a scary person, right? Um, I've talked on the show uh, numerous times about my issues with drug dependency. Okay. And the thing about being a recovering drug addict is this, this comedian, John Mulaney says it great. He, when he, his last special, he talks, he says, when you're a recovering drug addict and you're by yourself, you're alone with the person who tried to kill you. Mm. And that's, that's, that's the deal. So Jesus and I have decided to kill that old man because if we don't, he's going to kill me first. But going back to my wife, yeah, there were there were issues that she saw be, that she began to see that were troubling. So when I came back, she was on board. She was like, "Yes, this is yes, absolutely great. I'm a hundred percent on board. I'm coming with you. We're going to go to mass together. We're going to start being good Catholics." Kevin um, began to investigate uh, converting to the Catholic Church, and well, I began. Let me. Okay. Let me add one thing. Let me add one thing about your wife that I think is very virtuous in her is the fact that through your troubled years of, you know, between your returning to confession and leaving God, she stuck with you the whole time because, you stuck know, a lot of the whole time, because a lot of times when men are going through stuff, a lot of women in today's world will find that as an out to leave their husband. And I think that I think that your wife sticking with you through your problems really speaks to how virtuous of a woman she is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and yeah, just my, I'm alive today because of that woman. <laughs> I mean, I can, I, the things I, I, you know, so I'll share a story with you. Let me share this story with you. This, this is something that happened when I was away from the, like, during my atheist days. Uh, I took an entire bag of magic mushrooms and this was during when the Ebola thing was going on and there was an Ebola patient in Dallas right? yeah. and I was living cl close to Dallas. I took an entire bag of mushrooms and convinced myself that I had Ebola and I stared into the mirror as I watched my face drip off my skull into the, into, into the sink. And that's a story I'm willing to tell you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like very virtuous woman for sure. I'm alive today because of her. Uh, and so I got to talk about Kevin real quick. Cause I know he has, he's an important part of this. Kevin began to investigate um, 
the mysteries of the church of Rome. And I began to talk with him about it because I had been heavily deep into it for a long time. I was back into it now. And he asked me to sponsor him. And I did that. And I sponsored him. He came into the Catholic church and I went, and I, if you think about that, I went from being the guy who was, who hated any mention of anything going to church is stupid and silly and quite frankly, dangerous to being the guy who trucked everybody to traditional Latin mass every Sunday at six in the morning. You had to leave at 6 a.m. time if you wanted to get to Cedar Rapids by seven. And that that's an incredible transformation to happen. And I just think that I still think about Josh DeShaney to this day. I, I you know, I, I can't canonize people on my show, even though I have excommunicated you several times. Um, you you can text canonize. <laughs> I can text communicate people. <laughs> That's so great. But uh, I'd like to think, I'd like to hope that Josh DeShaney is in heaven praying for me. Um, maybe we hope, but nonetheless, uh, that's how I came back and I've been back ever since. Oh yeah. So, so Kevin came in, I sponsored him. That was a huge thing for me. Um, and so I don't know what else there is to really say about that. A couple of years after that, I started this podcast <laughs> and the rest is, well, wasn't there, the rest is history, wasn't there a, I remember, I remember we've talked about before and I'm trying to remember the details and maybe it was Kevin, but I thought you were in school one time and somebody maybe it was maybe it was before you came back to confession, but it was a comparative religion class. Maybe that mm -hmm. you said you've taken that, but anyway, somebody you were basically trying to convince somebody that it's all just a farce. Am I remembering that right? Or probably. I, I, yeah. I used to get a lot of enjoyment in my comparative religion. Well, see all these religion teachers were all modernists. So I knew their games. I knew I could, I could, I knew all their little, their stupid intellectual games. And I actually still had no patience for modernism. Uh, thank God. And uh, there was a, a friend I made at Loyola, Mustafa. He was a Muslim from Senegal. And uh, he was actually my, my partner against the modernists. Because the modernists were, were like, you know, all religions are basically the same. And me and Mustafa were like, that's not true. That's absolute nonsense. <laughs> and, well, you know, the, the, the great thing about Islam is, is that they're accepting of all religions. And Mustafa's like, that's not true. That's absolute, that's no. absolute nonsense. Not at all. And when the, when the, the Regensburg address happened, Mustafa was one of the only people who wasn't upset about this because he was like, well, he's, I won't do the accent, but he said, well, he's the Pope of the Catholic church, right? What's, like, the, yeah. what's the Regensburg address? I'm not familiar with that. The the one where um, Benedict the Sixteenth um, basically put Islam on blast, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to yeah, go back and read it. But that was that was that was before my Catholic days. So. No, essentially, he didn't put it on blast, but he essentially said that you know we we hold ourselves to be the true religion to the exclusion of all others. Well, and and and, and if he's a faithful Muslim, how could he be offended by that? Because he believes the same thing. That's exactly what he said. He said, he, he said, what religion did you think he was going to say was the one true religion? I mean, he's the Pope of the Catholic church. I think, 
I don't think it's unreasonable for the Catholic Church to demand you believe in it before they make you Pope of it. I mean, that's fair, right? And I remember the modernist uh, professor saying something, but the Muslims don't think things like that. And he said, oh, yes, we do. He said, I, th I think you're all going to hell when you die. Tell me, tell me you've never <laughs> talking you've never talked to a Muslim without telling me because I have a very dear Muslim friend myself and I've traveled to the Middle East pretty extensively in the past. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like like I believe that the Catholic faith is the one true faith. I do. You know, when I was going through RCIA, I remember during one of the classes and I've mentioned before that overall the experience was good. It was, it was a great experience, but there was one class that I had issue with because they were trying to make it like all, you know, just talking about Christianity, at least all of them were the same, the Protestants, you know, the Catholics, it didn't really matter. We're all going to heaven. And I said, why am I here? Why are you here trying to convince me and teach me about the Catholic faith? Don't, and don't say that to a modernist because the modernist will say, yeah, you're right. We all shouldn't be here. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> That's that's but, that's their but, game. That's but their, the same but but, but the same thing. But the same thing goes with Muslims. Like when I've talked to uh, my my friend over, and he lives in Saudi Arabia. He's Egyptian, but he lives in Saudi Arabia, right? And, and I've talked to Saudi Arabians when I was over there. We both believe the other person is one hundred percent wrong, and their soul is in jeopardy, right? Yeah. I if I didn't think the Catholic faith was the one true faith then I wouldn't be here. I'm well, not going to, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be Catholic. And that's why I've always, be, just because, just because it's the cool thing to do, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, why would you bother being a part of something you don't believe is true? I mean, I, I, and I've said it many times on this show. I re every to a person, every Muslim I've ever met has been a wonderful human being. That's just been my experience. Maybe, maybe your experiences have differed, but to a person, Every Muslim I've ever met has been a really lovely person. Um, and I've said it before. I respect Muslims. I do not respect Islam. I can't. It's a false religion. Yeah. I, I, I can't. What do you want me to do, right? Jesus can both cannot both be God and not be God at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. That is, the two ideas are mutually exclusive of one another. And anybody with any sense of intellectual rigor can arrive at that conclusion very quickly. And you don't need to hate people in order to do it. I don't hate a single Muslim I've ever met. All right. But I don't respect Islam. And let me spoil the, let me spoil it for you right now. They don't respect Christianity. Well, I, don't. I think the ones that I've met, the ones that I've known have respected me as a person such is the way it goes. But in the modernist, see in the modernist form, all of our little words that we use, because they're in charge of the language and they get to decide what language means today. And so tolerance means accepting everyone's ideas and validating them. And that's stupid. It's, 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 it's impossible to do that. And it's unreasonable to demand people do that. Well, let me ask you this kind of uh, something that I just thought of speaking mm -hmm. of this get, but it'll bring us back to the, the show topic during, during your, your, when you were angry, when you left the church, when you were coming back into the church, did you ever consider like a, a, a different, maybe branch of Christianity or even a different religion? Or was it kind of like if the Catholic church isn't true, none of it's true. 
the Catholic church isn't true. None of it's true. I, that was, I, I never entertained joining another religion. I mean, I studied all the different religions as part of my degree, but um, I'll be honest, Protestantism was off the table from the job. Right. Yeah. Um, I have, <laughs> yeah, I have tattoos on me that would just never go down over there. And I was terrified of them anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> Because I thought they all wanted to kill me, you know. But um, <laughs> thanks, Grandma. Okay. Well, this is another. Well, this is another example of what I'm talking about. I finally met an Irish Protestant as I got a little bit older in life, and he was a lovely person. And I heard he was a lovely person. He really was. He was. An, he didn't want to kill me or kill anybody in my family or kill anybody that you know of. That I know of, right? Um, Allegedly. He had strong opinions about Roman Catholicism. I can tell you that. To, to, the, to the Ulster Scots who live up in uh, Northern Ireland, Roman Catholicism exists in their imagination as like an international criminal conspiracy. Um, but it's just part of their culture. I don't know that they'll ever be any different, but he was a really lovely person. He didn't want to hurt me or kill me or anything like that. I, I heard his version of Irish history, and I thought, you know, had I been born into his community, I'd probably feel exactly the same way he does and have all the same opinions that he does. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, but like, no, I never really entertained going to another religion. I just okay, didn't. Yeah. That was not on the table for me. But um, I'm, I'm really glad to be back in the one true faith. I, I, I can't even tell you how important that is. And I just want to, I want to drop something here for the people who are still with me and may have been listening to this, like, man, what kind of a, what to make of this story, what to make of this story. The, the first thing I would tell you is um, anger, bitterness, and resentment are not your friends. There's plenty in life to be angry about. Don't get me wrong. And there's plenty in life that can cause resentment, but Satan lies at the end of that path every single time. The difference between Judas Iscariot and Peter, one of those guys asked for forgiveness, repented, he had enough humility to admit that what he did was wrong and that he needs Jesus's forgiveness. The other one gave in, steered right into the skid of angerness, bitterness, resentment, suicide because he couldn't be forgiven. I go back all the time to the, to the, to the crucifixion, to the two thieves hanging on either side of Jesus, because you're one of these people, you're a thief. Don't get it twisted. The idea that, well, thank God I'm not like one of them. No, no, you're a thief, a thief, a liar, a hypocrite, a scumbag. The difference is, are you going to be the guy who through anger, bitterness, resentment, misery looks at Jesus like I did through that period of atheism that I went through and say, he can't even save himself. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this wretch of a man. You think he's going to do anything? God doesn't love you. He doesn't love you because he doesn't love me. You know, or are you going to be like the other thief who? In the, in the worst agony of your life, look to the Savior who suffers with you and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those are the two choices you have because you're a thief. The idea that you just won't be a thief, that got answered at Eden. 
And spoiler alert, it didn't end well for us, right? We, we, we failed that test. Go read your catechism. So that, that I think is the lesson here, man. Don't, don't become an angry, embittered, miserable person because the thing about angry, bitter, miserable people is they're not going to be happy until every person on earth is as angry and bitter and miserable as they are. Adolf Hitler started a war that killed 60 million people because he was an angry, bitter, miserable little man. You know, Karl Marx, another angry, bitter, miserable wretch of a person, envious of everybody and what they have and what he doesn't have. Um, you know, go through the list, man. All of these, these people who just, they become cautionary tales, man. Don't let that happen to you. There's a, there's a, there's a, I don't even remember which saint it is, but he says, accept everything that happens to you with simplicity. And that's the way to go. Um, you know, you, you, I, yeah, go ahead. I just want to read this comment. Uh, Metro C says, as someone who is discerning a monastic life, did I say that right? Monastic. This, monastic. There you go. Life. This, I didn't think it sounded right. Anyway, let me start over. As someone who is discerning a, a monastic life, this conversation has been very important to hear. And, you know, Good. we talk about, we talk about on this show that if we can be of assistance or help one person, praise be to God, that's that means more to us than, than any of the than any of the the other stuff we do on this show. So I'm here to tell you hopefully Mark's story it you know helps you in your discernment process. I'm I'm here to tell you that all all scholars, even the atheist critical biblical scholars, they know they all agree on two things. Jesus of Nazareth was a real person who really existed in first century Palestine. And he died by crucifixion. And for whatever reason, his tomb was found empty. We know that for a historical fact. We know it because even the, the rabbinical literature had to come up with reasons why the tomb was empty. The apostles stole his body is one of the, 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 the theories and you know, things like that. And there's even mention of that in the gospel, that that was the rumor that was going around. But that proves that that tomb was found empty. I want you to know, Jesus Christ really lived. He really died. He died a real death. He really was buried and he really rose again on the third day, never to die again. He destroyed death. That everything else is crap after that, man. Everything else is crap. Don't let in, don't let anybody steal that from you. We're gonna, we're gonna come back on the last day. Jesus is going to raise us from the dead on the last day. So the monastic life is worth pursuing. I don't want to turn you off to that. It is worth pursuing. And we will it's definitely worth pray discerning. for you. Definitely. We will definitely pray for you. The only thing I would I would ask you is one of the things you're listening to, you're listening to your vocations director, <clears throat> you're listening to your confessors, you're listening in prayer to the Holy Spirit, listen to your feelings too. If something doesn't feel right, something doesn't seem right, there are other communities other than the one you might be in. There are 
and that's not even saying you might be in a bad community like the Legion, right? You, you may just not be in one that is has a charism that's right for you. Mm-hmm. That's that's fair. But my point is, is I don't want to turn you off to this. And and this is not a man. Don't don't pursue your vocation because you'll end up getting screwed. That's not that's not what I'm trying to tell you. So hopefully that has not been the takeaway. But and no, the I other thing so. I, I don't think yeah, so at all. The other thing I want to say is, um, your peace has to come from within. It comes from Christ, who 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 must dwell inside you. If it comes from the exterior, you're always going to be in turmoil. You're going to, you're going to like the sea in a storm. Right. And if you, if you're, if you can keep that internal peace, you can, God will, God will see you through every storm. You will be, you will be able to weather every storm. Um, and that's, and that's my story. No, I think it's a great story and I appreciate you, uh, sharing your reversion story. Cause like I said, I've heard bits and pieces of it, you know, through our friendship, through, you know, us, us talking on, on air and whatnot. I just thought it'd be really good to get your story out there because like I said, I mean, this, I I think your reversion story is powerful. It speaks to a lot of the emotions that people go through throughout their lives. Some of them, some of them handle, handle it better than others. Some of them, you know, go down the path you did. Some go the opposite way. But I think no matter which way you go, I think your reversion story can speak to just about anybody because we've all been there where we've been frustrated or angry, you know, with the way things are going in our life. And uh, I just feel like your story can teach us a lesson on the the path that we in the right mindset that we need to have versus what we don't need to have, because you have both of it in your story, right? You have, you went the, you went the wrong way and then you went the right way in, in parts of it. So uh, yeah. Thanks. I, I want to say one thing. If there's anybody, if it, I don't know if these guys will ever listen to this podcast, but if you ever hear this podcast, father Juan goes, Jose Garcia, father Walter shoe, father Matthew Brackett. I'd love to hear from you. I know father Matthew Brackett has left the priesthood. Um, and, that can I can't even imagine what you're going through because he just he, he he walked away, walked away from the Legion a while ago, but ended up walking away from the priesthood itself very recently and has now been criticized. How, how old would he be, you think, today? I don't know. I don't know. He was he was um, we had we had a novice master and then there was an, a, another prof- he, he was a professed brother at the time. He wasn't a priest yet. Yeah. And he was right below the novice master. So he was my my direct superior that I interacted with the most. Oh, okay. Who okay. I, I was very, very close with. And in fact, when uh, Pope St. John Paul II walked through the millennial door in 2000 at, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica, if you look at the guy in the cassock who's next to him, that's Father Matthew Brackett. And he was a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, these legionaries were tied into the well. They were tied into the power in the Vatican, man. They, they, these guys had no shortage of connections. But if you're out there and you're and you hear me and you want to send me an email to say what's up, tradmanpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. That's yeah, all I got. Let me, let me throw it up here real quick. Yeah, Father Walter Shue, Father Juan Jose Garcia, Father Matthew Brackett. Um, those are the guys that I that I remember the most who were father john bartunic um father uh you you guys remember um father he was in the irishman and he was on he was on msnbc for a while i can't remember his name um 
he was a brother when I was there too. Um, oh, he's a famous guy. I can't even remember his name, but anyway, <clears throat> um, yeah, they, I, I knew, I knew a lot of this somewhat famous priests for some reason. And that's why I'm also kind of skeptical of famous priests. So a little bit, <laughs> not that he, well, was, he wasn't a bad guy, but he just, he, he ended up walking away from the priesthood. Um, father, uh, father, uh, Thomas, who wrote a book on how to how to form priests, he ended up uh, falling in love with a woman and then leaving the priesthood. I mean, none of the guys I knew stuck this out. So I, you know. So like you said, like you said, uh, fortunately for you, unfortunately for others, you dodged a bullet. Huge bullet, man. Yeah, huge. Praise, praise be to God. Praise be to God. You know, I I do want I, I do want to add that. You know, I, I know to our to the listeners that we do have, we've, we've taken a long break. And I don't know why we take such long breaks. I know life gets in the way, gets busy. But I really enjoyed enjoyed this conversation in particular. But I really enjoyed being on air with you. We, we should try to make this more regular because it was a lot of fun tonight. Yes, Father Jonathan Morris. I knew, Father, I knew, I knew him when he was Brother Jonathan Morris. Um, in fact, hmm. I, was at, I was at his ordination to the diaconate. Um, I traveled with him to St. Louis on a bus. We sat next to each other on a bus. And I remember teaching him IRA songs. Terrible. <laughs> it was a terrible novice. It was a terrible novice. Well, we yeah. have an IRA friend over at AB. <laughs> we do, Anthony. <laughs> so, oh, no, but, uh... Well, anyway, that's. I don't want to bore you guys with any more of my... Uh, this no, is more no. that I've talked about. I hate talking about myself. It's such a weird thing to do, you know. But I, yeah, you you, this, you ought to you ought to be you ought to be conceited more and talk about yourself because it was it was very, no, I really don't. You really don't want that. Trust me. <laughs> there, there's a there's a conceited like scumbag who lives inside me, and I'm trying to me, me and Jesus are trying to strangle him to death, and um, we're making progress. We haven't totally gotten rid of him yet, but you know we're we're working on it. <laughs> Well, we lo- we love this mark. Well, I I don't I, love, I don't I know like, the other mark, but I but, but I love this mark. So you know the the prayer when you put on the surplus, uh, the, which is the, uh, the the white garment that over that goes over the cassock that altar servers wear, uh, comes from Ephesians, and you kiss the surplus and you put it on and you say Indume Domine Novum Ominum Quia Secundum Deus Creatus Est in Justitia et Sanctitati Veritatis, which means I've always loved this prayer. Clothe me, Lord, with the new man created in the image of God and justice and the holiness of truth. Um, Margo. Thanks, Margo. Thank you, Margo. She was talking to me, by the way. (laughs) I'm sure she was. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I love that prayer because it speaks a lot to what it is we're all trying to do, right? We're trying to become the new man who is made in the image of Christ and not the old man who is corrupted in the image of Adam. (coughs) Excuse me. So, um, the lady of South Texas, God bless you. Thank you for coming yeah, on. God bless. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason, what's next? What are we doing after this? Hopefully well, we have some have more to... interesting guests on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had, uh, we've had somebody reach out to us with, with some potential guests. We have some cool guests coming up. We don't, we haven't booked them yet, so I'm not going to, we're not going to say yeah. who they are, but we've, we, it's in the works. I am moving. So as soon as, um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you Marco. <laughs> i can't tell you what that means to me that is really nice that's really sweet you guys are sweet um 
I'm moving. Just remember, so. just remember Margo, screenshots are forever. That's right. <laughs> Once saved, always saved. Um, so I'm packing up the computer as soon as we're done what do here you, tonight. What do you want to talk about, Margo? Yeah, Margo, come on. Tell, yeah. What do you want to talk about, Margo? Margo, I'd love to have you on the show. Why haven't we had Margo on? Let's do that. Let's pick a topic and let's have her on. I'm good. All right. Um, so I'm packing up the computer tonight because I'm getting ready to move. At the end of the month, I'll be in my new spot. We'll, we'll crank this bad boy back up again. And uh, we'll have some edifying conversations. You, you know else? You know who else we should have on um, that we haven't, but we've been talk we've talked about it for a long time. We just haven't come up with the topic. It's Connor. I miss my boy Connor. What is he doing these days? What's my boy up to? I don't know, Connor. If you're watching, reach out to us. But maybe I'll reach yeah. out to Connor tonight. Actually, yeah, reach out just, to Connor. Just to, also, just to see how he's doing. I've also been in touch with Trevor over at Tridentine and um, uh, one of my favorite people, dude, that guy's awesome. And I want to have him back on the show for sure. Cause I just, I, I just enjoy talking to him. He's a, he's a really smart guy. He knows a lot about um, uh, blessed Carl of Austria. And I, I think oh. that's probably the topic we should do. Cause that's with Trevor. He's, yeah. he's big into that devotion for sure. So, so for sure, but Trevor's, we love Trevor's all our one friends. Of the most uh, kind-hearted, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. I was gonna say I Trevor's mean, one of the most generous, kind-hearted persons I've ever met. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. I, I love yeah. my friends that I've made here in the Catholic media space. You guys have been so generous to us with your with your comments, your likes, your subs, your patronage of our little apostolate here, and um, we just are we are incredibly grateful for this. This podcast has made me a better Catholic absolutely um, for me too yeah so this is this is definitely a give and take uh situation i'm learning as much from you guys as you guys are learning from us and <clears throat> it's all for the greater glory of god so oh yeah and uh like i said we'll, we'll come up with something and and me and mark were talking earlier like try to do something more regular Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking about that for a while, but I know this summer has been kind of crazy with, uh, for me, with my kids and, and their activities and whatnot, and then just everyday life. And I know Mark has been busy with, with his new job and with moving now, but the good news is we eventually may be streaming together. Yeah. My new, my new place has got dedicated studio space. <laughs> So we're going to put, we're going to mic that bad boy up. We're going to put some cameras in there. We're going to do some in-person episodes. And, this is uh, actually a really good idea to have Trevor and Connor on at the same time. Yeah, that would be good. Because, be because good. Connor knows a lot too about, you know, just it's, uh, uh, blessed Carl and uh, yeah. European history. That's and a stuff big like devotion of well. his for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, blessed Carl of Austria's son punched Ian Paisley in the face one time. And that was awesome if you guys don't know who ian paisley ian paisley was an irish protestant who was uh, just the most anti-catholic bigot you've ever he's dead now uh so i don't know where he is but um he was just the biggest anti-catholic bigot in the entire world um he incited a lot of violence against catholics in ireland and things like that and uh, uh blessed carl of austria's i think his great nephew or something like that in the european union parliament or something like that just punched him in the <laughs> mouth and i was like that's based that's awesome <laughs> yeah anywho that's all i got you want you you want me to take us out or you want to take us out i will I've take us out guys 
may Almighty God bless you. May our Lady, may our Lady keep you. And until we meet Amen. again, may God hold you all in the palm of His hand. I love you guys. Y'all be good. God bless everyone. Mm-hmm.